It is so good to be with you this morning. Um, uh, it, it encourages my heart. I, I was telling some folks, I think it was last week, the last couple of weeks, um, you know, at every stage in your life, and I'm going to talk a little bit about stages uh, in our lives and how those things happen, um, you, you have to decide, right, what's going to be in, what's going to be out, and, and you, you need to, like, re-choose. And I just, I tell you, I am more in love with Lighthouse today than I have ever been in my life. And it's just amazing because so many people coming together and saying, we believe one church can make a world of difference one person at a time. And, and you all are that people. And so I love that. And I love serving in this house. And uh, I'm excited about all the things that are happening that, that God is putting together. Didn't you enjoy that ensemble this morning? Let's give them a hand. The worship team and the ensemble. Those guys work hard. You know, for, for those of us who have no musical bone in our body and, and our best skill is to hit play, people that have musical gifts are just amazing to me. So, uh, so I love that, and I'm, I'm so glad that they shared their, their gift with us today. Um, I, I'm, I'm going to share with you some, some things that are kind of uh, on my heart today, uh, obviously from the Word of the Lord. Uh, we are starting a new series today called uh, Soul Talks, and uh, so I want to talk to you today about the resurrection and you. My wife told me that I needed to preface the next part of what I'm going to talk about to let you know that I have already talked to her about what I'm going to talk to you about. <laughs> now, let me, let me just hasten to say, because that, you know, over the years, you know, Holly and I started probably, okay, so we will have been married, we will be married 33 years, the end of May. And, uh, and so when we first started out, yeah, give her a hand. She gets a really, really wonderful reward from the Lord uh, for being married to me. And, and so right after we got married and, you know, probably within a month, we were working in a youth ministry up in, uh, up in uh, uh, Michigan. So we went up there for the summer before I had one more semester at college. And, and so we were just brand new, married, got married in May. And, you know, right after the honeymoon, we went to Michigan. And so we're getting to know each other. And man, can I just tell you, I stepped in it so many times. You know, the Bible says where words are many, sin is not absent. Well, so, so preachers are the worst sinners because we got more words, you know? And so I said a lot of the, and, and so she and I had to have huddles after the fact. We were like, okay, you, you might not want to say it this way. You might want to say it this way. And preachers are notorious for, for talking about their family from the pulpit, right? Now my kids corrected that in me because they would charge me $5 every time I used their name from the pulpit as they were growing up. And it, and it curtailed my, my ex, my fishing expeditions into their lives to talk about them. Um, so uh, all that, the disclaimer of what I'm about to share with you in regards to Holly. Uh, one more thing before I get to that. Um, if you've been married, uh, how many of you in the room have been married more than 20 years? And how many, how many of you would agree with the statement, uh, yeah, they deserve a hand and, and probably, probably a lot more, probably an easy chair too. Um, uh, that how many of you would agree with the fact that you are not the same person, you're not married to the same person that you were married to 20 plus years ago that they've changed. They're, they're the same in name. They're the same in body, but it's not the same person. You know what I'm talking about? Holly's been married to about five different guys. <laughs> but all of their name is Ken Kramer. But five different guys. Five different versions of myself, you know? And, and, and the verdict is still out as to whether or not it's the new and improved. But I'm not the only one. So Holly and I, the way we've worked out our roles over time is that there are certain parts of the house that are mine and there are certain parts of the house that are hers. And, and that means she, she doesn't have to consult me. She does but, uh, because she wants to. But she doesn't have to consult me about, uh, you know, paint colors in this part of the house, that part of the house. I have my study, which you can almost walk in almost. And the door stays closed to it and, and she doesn't venture in there. And I have the garage and the shed is kind of, uh, is kind of the DMZ, the demilitarized zone. Uh, you know, nobody, no, it's no man's land out there. That's the shed. Those are, those are my areas. The other areas of the house are, are basically hers. She can do whatever she wants in there. And, and I'm like, go ahead, honey. And the other thing is I don't really speak color all that well. You know, when it comes to paint colors, I have, I have primary colors. 
I'm about primary colors. My wife is in all these shades that have weird names that don't have anything to do with color in my estimation, right? And so anyway, my wife is in this phase. And I'm not sure what to do about it. It's in our bedroom. And I don't know if I would call it an addiction or a fetish. I don't, I don't know. I don't know which is the proper word. I need to talk to some of my counselor friends to find out what, how, how those are defined. But she has a thing now about pillows. She's in the pillow phase. Our bed has seven pillows on it. Seven. Seven. I've never in my life had to, had to unload the bed before I got into it. Never in my life. Never. 33 years of marriage and now I have to work before I can get into the bed. Because there are seven pillows on it. Now, you guys, you know, you do stuff in the house. You, it's only because you're married that there are certain things in the house. And I, I, go, I do plenty of camping. I don't even carry a pillow. I take a hoodie and wrap it up in a ball. And, you know, and that's, that's the deal. Seven pillows in my bed? Holly, what gives? Right? Anyway, I just thought I'd share that with you. We can, you can maybe give me some counsel after. What's the phase after the pillow phase? That's what I want to know. I'm a little nervous now. I'm a little nervous. Anyway, so uh, no marriages were violated in the, in, in the statements that were previously shared. Okay, just wanted you to know. Um, so, so today, uh, we're, we're going to talk about the resurrection of Jesus, and I hope that I can connect some dots for you um, as we talk about the person of Jesus and his resurrection and your life, because I'm convinced that what, one of the things that happens as we grow is that we have to have new thinking in order to enter into our new future. I learned a lot, a lot of years ago that your life has changed by the books that you read, say that, by the books that you read and the people that you meet. So let's say that out loud together, all of it together. My life is changed by the books that I read and the people that I meet. I met the Good Shepherd when I was 17 years old, and I began reading the Good Book on a weekly, if not a daily basis, since I'm 17 years old and my life has been changed right? Now, you may not be a reader, and that's okay, especially in this day and time. You can listen to podcasts. You can listen to an audio Bible. You can listen to books. You don't have to be a reader. Just be a learner. Be a person that takes in fresh information. Why? Because usually when people run out of ideas, they run out of freedom. They, they run out of options. They see the only thing that I can do is regress instead of progress. And so you need to constantly, this is my pitch for you to be a lifelong learner. Be a lifelong, be a person that's, that, that enjoys and is not intimidated by fresh ideas. All right. Um, so today, as we begin to talk through this, um, I want us to, I want to take you back to the, to the empty tomb. And all of the gospel writers um, talk about uh, the, the resurrection of Jesus, the four gospel writers. Mark chapter 16, uh, which we're not, I'm going to just mention it here, but if you want a really good, concise uh, reading of, uh, of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, I recommend Mark. Um, he's short, sweet, to the point, doesn't really leave anything out. Um, the other thing that's important for you is that the characters seem to slightly change in the, the different renditions and each writer had their own idea of what they wanted to get across and so John wanted to wanted you to understand uh, certain things about his passage they're all talking about the same uh, situation so you you and I just need to recognize that there are different ways to do that in the interest of time I've selected John chapter 20 today for us to go into this together um, would you read it out loud with me it's on the screen it's in your notes right there if you have uh, if you use the version app on your phone go to the events page and you can click on Lighthouse VA and uh, you can have all the notes that I have on my phone right here. 
John chapter 20, verse 10. Let's read it out loud together. Then the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am returning to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord, and she told them that he had said these things to her. Lord, we pray over your word today. We know it's always anointed, but oftentimes our ears are not ready to hear, and our eyes are not ready to see, and our hearts are not ready to believe. But today I pray that the Holy Spirit would help us to take a hold of your word, to meet us right where we are in this moment in time, and that we would have a fresh glimpse of who the real Jesus is, who the up-to-date version of Jesus is that the scriptures tell us about, so that we can grow into the people that you've called us to be as believers in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, you know, it's, it's amazing when we read the, the biblical uh, story about what happens here is that uh, the, the two different views of how they do things. There was the disciples and there was Mary. And the scripture tells us that the disciples didn't stick around. That as soon as the funeral was done, they said, huh, we're out of here. Now, there are a few reasons why that probably happened right? Um, you, you've got to remember that these disciples, several of which were fishermen, had left everything behind. They had cashed it all in, and they said, when Jesus said, come follow me, they left everything behind, and they followed him. They had no plan B. They had, as it were, they had burnt the boats, and they, and they went on, and they went after him. And so, their understanding of Jesus as rabbi uh, might have gone something like this. Here's this rabbi, and rabbis weren't going around looking for disciples among fishermen, so they probably felt really good about themselves. Who is this learned man that would ask us to come follow him? It was a very very high honor. And so Jesus probably taught on the Sermon on the Mount, and the disciples were pretty amazed. They were probably pretty amazed when here's this teacher who had amazing instruction about the word of the Lord, but when he began to multiply the bread and the fishes, hey man, our rabbi's better than your rabbi. He can't do fish and chips like, you know, your guy, your guy can't like ours, ours can. You know, they, they began to look. Their, their, Jesus' credibility continued to grow. Even though their minds were blown, their understanding of Jesus was growing. They began to see, wow, he, he can do this. And then they end up in the, in the boat, right? And the, the wind and the waves obey him. And they say, what kind of man is this? He speaks to the wind and the waves. You know, it's one thing to be a great teacher and outdistance the Pharisees. It's another thing to multiply the bread. But now even the wind and the waves obey this man. What kind of a person is this? Their understanding of Jesus continued to grow. And then one day, then one day he mixes some mud and puts it on some blind eyes. And those blind eyes are open. Then one day there's this widow's son. And he stops the funeral and tells the little boy to get up. Whoa, our minds are blown. We, we knew Jesus could do some cool stuff, but we didn't know that he could command the dead to come back, right? And so now the disciples think, yes, they were really excited uh, the week prior to Jesus's death. Why? Because they said, he is the king. Everybody, look, the whole city of Jerusalem's out here, and we can see that the king is coming in on a donkey's colt, and obviously now the Pharisees know that Jesus is king. Obviously, this is the Messiah. This is the one, and isn't it so cool? Because we're right up here with Jesus. And then he was crucified. 
And all of their dreams were crushed. All of their credibility was lost. Everything that they had known about him in their minds was over with. They had no one to turn to. They said, you know what? We've left everything to follow him. And all their buddies said, man, those guys are fools. Those guys are ridiculous. They, they, they left really good jobs to go be followers of this guy. You don't know anything about him. And so when Jesus dies, all of a sudden everything, all the stock that the, the, that the disciples had in the person of Jesus got turned upside down. And so what do they do? Our very first, uh, our very first line in that text says, and the disciples went to their homes. They turned back. They went back to their old ways of living. They went back to their old lifestyle. They went back to their old identities. They went back. But here's this group of women. Now, Mark talks about all of them. John only talks about Mary. So we're just going to talk about Mary. But we know there were other women with her that day. And we don't know why. But Mary saw something in Jesus. She had a deeper connection with him than maybe the disciples did. She, had a, she, she was grieving more deeply. There was something more that she wanted to do. She just wanted to, she didn't care that it was a tomb. She didn't care that it was, she was going down uh, into this place where, where there were dead people. She didn't care about that. She wanted to be near the Lord. It's true, isn't it, that when we grieve deeply, we really, really need more comfort than anybody else. And I think, I think Mary, uh, she knew Jesus well. Mary, Mary had been delivered. We know that. The scripture tells us that Jesus had cast demons out of her life. And, and she had, he had ministered to her in a deep way. And she just wasn't willing, willing at that point to turn completely back. She stuck around. She, she investigated a little further. She went a little closer. Closer. Incidentally, I got a text this morning from uh, Bill Baxter, and the Baxters in the halls are in Israel, and and uh, and Bill said, you know, Happy Easter from the land of the empty tomb, you know, and uh, and it occurs to me uh, in in Israel, uh, have you ever seen the Orthodox Jews praying at the Western Wall in Jerusalem? You've seen pictures of that, and they'll they'll take prayers and they'll stick them in the little the little cracks in between the stones, and the reason for that is that on the Temple Mount. Uh, when the temple was still standing, the Western Wall was the closest to the Holy of Holies. It was the closest to the, to the place where the manifest presence of God was known to dwell in Jerusalem. And so even though the temple is gone, and even though the Holy of Holies is gone, the people still go to pray where the last closest place for the presence of God was. That's why the Western Wall. There's the why there. And I don't know, maybe there's something about that with Mary. She's like, you know what? The last place that he rests, I just want to be near him. I just want to be near him. And so she looked more deeply. She investigated more deeply into the death of Jesus than anybody else had done. Than anybody else had done. And in that investigation, she picked up some things that everybody else that had left early. See, they all missed the miracle. But Mary didn't. Mary didn't. Here's the thing I want to remind you about today as we get ready to go forward is that the resurrection of Jesus caused every other impossibility now to be possible. See, if death is taken out of the way, nothing's impossible with God in your life. Anything that you and I, uh, that where, where we have a, a, a limited time on the planet, let me just remind you today, none of us gets out of this alive. Sounded like a cult just then, didn't I? <laughs> Welcome to the cult of the human race. None of us gets out of this alive. But because of the resurrection of Jesus, nothing is impossible either. Nothing is impossible. And so the disciples turned back after the funeral and missed the miracle. But Mary investigated the death of Jesus and the tomb more deeply. Here's what she found. She found two angels. That's not bad. Messengers with a message. She found a reason for joy instead of mourning. You, you might have some mourning in your life. But if you'll investigate what Jesus has done in regard to the death, burial, and resurrection, you will find a reason for joy today. That all 
is not lost, that, that God gives uh, joy instead of mourning. He, he gives you the oil of gladness instead of those ashes of mourning, a reason for joy instead of mourning, a new understanding of Jesus. Mary was the first person to get the revelation that Jesus is alive and he's Lord. Everybody else's revelation of Jesus stopped at the tomb. Until one woman investigated a little bit further. I wonder, I, I, I just want to touch him one more time. Wait, there's no stone. What happened to the stone? Somebody moved the stone. And she probably talked to the other ladies. She said, are we at the right tomb? Because, you know, there was a stone over this tomb the last time that I saw it. Are we at the wrong place? Are we like trying to go anoint the, the wrong guy? What is it? They looked around. No, this is the right one. And, and the stone has been rolled away. And Mary investigates it a little bit deeper. She goes in there and, ooh, here's this angel uh, telling her uh, that, that Jesus isn't there. She looks around. She doesn't see the body. She gets to, she's the first person to get an understanding of Jesus that nobody else ever got. Jesus talked about his resurrection before he died. But it was hidden from their sight. Jesus said, destroy this, destroy this temple and I'll raise it up in three days. He already told him. He said, no man takes my life from me. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. But they still didn't see it. They didn't have it, the, the understanding. In fact, even up until the moment when Jesus talks to Mary, notice that she doesn't even recognize him. That she looks at him, but she doesn't really look at him. Why? Because we, we all only see what we are conditioned to see. And so her last vision of Jesus is him wrapped in claws. And, and, and it's impossible that she would be looking at the man himself. It's impossible. And yet he stands there alive. All of history is on the fulcrum of the empty tomb. Life changed for all of humanity because of the empty tomb. This message, friends, Mary was the first person to get it, but this message is so significant in your life. Don't leave here without a fresh understanding of who Jesus is. Don't leave here without a fresh understanding of what he wants to do in your life today. A new understanding of Jesus, a new understanding of what life is about, about life and death. You and I came here today, and, and we were intentional. We have prayed for this service. We have worked for this service. You, we've got people serving in, in capacities that we haven't had in quite some time um, to, to make this service happen. Obviously, the, uh, the orchestra and the ensemble, just give them another hand. They just did a fantastic job today. You know, every, everybody working together to make this happen um, because of the experience. But can I tell you, we, we are spiritual beings having a human experience, not human beings having a spiritual experience. If you don't know Jesus, then you are having simply a human experience and your experience is lacking because somewhere in your heart, you're thinking there's got to be something more than this. There's got to be something more than just waking up and going to work and living to this many years and then dying. There's got to be something more. Jesus is the something more. Amen. The Bible tells us that uh, this is a testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Well, Pastor Ken, we're all walking around, and we're able to hear that message. Yeah, but you've only got bio life. You don't have the life of God, the Zoe life of God that, that is available to us through the person of Jesus. A new understanding of life and death. And Mary got the master fulfilling his mission. She, she caught him. It's so interesting. It's almost like, it's almost like she, she, she didn't catch him off guard, but it kind of seems that way in the text. He says, don't hold on to me. Jesus is in motion. He's moving into the next phase of his, of his ministry. He's like, don't hang on to me. It's not done yet. Now, it was finished, the finished work of Jesus, but God was going to exalt him and seat him at the right hand of the Father. Many of us grew up in different uh, religious traditions. You've probably seen, uh, uh, you know, uh, a Catholic crucifix that had Jesus on the cross, right? And uh, you say, what's the difference between a Christian cross, just the cross, and a crucifix that's got the body of Jesus already on there? And, and what I would suggest to you is that uh, based on the little snapshots that you and I take of Jesus throughout his journey, the cross 
cross, the Bible says, was, was the pathway that Jesus used to accomplish what it was that needed to be accomplished. But he didn't stay on the cross. Because on the cross, Jesus is powerless. On the cross, all the world's sin was laid on him. It had to happen. But the Bible says that God has exalted him to the right hand. That he has a name that's above every other name. That Jesus today is not on the cross, but he's, he's seated at the right hand. And he's holding in his hand the title deed to all of humanity. Jesus owns it all. Jesus owns it all. You and I need to understand that the master was fulfilling his mission and she discovered her new identity. For all these things, Mary was, was her life was being built up for this moment. She was going to be the first person to witness the resurrection, resurrection. So today, we are either like the disciples of Jesus who turned back because of fear we turn back to our old life. We turn back to our old ways. We turn back to our old identities. Or we're, we're hanging around the tomb a little bit longer saying, hmm, maybe God's got something more here. Maybe where everybody else put a period, God actually just put a comma. And there's something more for me in the person of Jesus. Maybe something that I haven't considered. Maybe something that I haven't gotten a hold of yet. Maybe there's something that God has for me that can cause me to move into the next season of my life, the next part of, of what it is that, uh, that God wants to do. You know, the Bible tells us in, uh, in Samuel that man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart, right? Man looks at the outward appearance. God looks at the heart. Let me remind you of some things that you already know. God doesn't care about age, so he blessed Abraham and Sarah. God doesn't care about fluency. He picked an ineloquent Moses to lead his people out of Egypt. God doesn't care about experience. He selected David, a shepherd boy, to become king. God doesn't care about gender. He chose Esther to be queen and to save her people. God doesn't care about ethnicity. He put foreigners like Rahab and Ruth in Jesus' family tree. God doesn't care about a person's past. He picked Paul, who had persecuted Christians, to be a spokesman. God doesn't care about height. Jesus dined with Zacchaeus, who was short in stature, but long in desire to meet Jesus. God doesn't care about a questionable past. After the resurrection, Jesus first appears to Mary, who once harbored seven demons. God doesn't care how badly you failed. Peter denied he knew Jesus, but he was chosen to lead the early church. Let me ask you a question. What are you looking at in your life? Go ahead. Give the Lord a hand. God is good. God, God restores and God resets and he gives us these new opportunities to do what he wants to do in our lives, right? And, but if we hang on to our past, if we hold on to something that has been, uh, that, that we are afraid of letting go of, like the disciples did, they went back, but Mary moved forward in her life. And I just want to challenge you today. There are things that God wants to do in your life that you're going to have to let go of some old things in order to embrace the new right? Um, so let's, let's touch on that right now. Let's go into our notes. Refuse to go back to your old way of life. God has redeemed us through the power of the resurrection. What, it, what, uh, what were the things that were in your life that are holding you back from being everything that God wants you to be? I, I, if, I, if you sit down, I suggest you do this sometime. Sit down and ask yourself the questions. What are the main decisions that I've made in my life that put me in the season I'm in right now? Boil it down to maybe three or four decisions. What are the main decisions that you have made in your life that positioned you exactly where you are now? You see, we are, a re, uh, we are a result of our decisions, who I chase, uh, choose to hang around, who I choose to emulate, who, I'm, who I choose to listen to. We are, are if, and so you are in control. If you don't like where you're at, change it. Look at your decisions. Look at the people you're listening to. Look at what's getting on the inside of you. Right? If you change your thinking, then your behavior will follow. 
It's just amazing how that works. And God designed us that way. Refuse to go back to your old way of life. Some of us have gotten stuck. Some of us have found ourselves, we were doing real good in the Lord. And then somewhere along the line, something tripped us up. It could have been something somebody said. It could have been some habit that seemed to creep back in. And all of a sudden, your own, your own uh, self-condemnation came on you. All of a sudden, guilt comes up and trips you up. Man, I was, I was walking, I, w- I was running a good race and then I got tripped up. You know what? Refuse to hang on to that and say that that's a death sentence. Why? Because you put a period where God put a comma. You did that. God didn't do that. God says you, you can, all the promises of God are available to you. You can walk in his ways even today. Even today. So refuse to hang on to that old way of life. Some of us, we, we hang on to it because of fear. Well, I don't know what else I do. I don't know what else. You know what? Uh, start talking to people who have the life that you want to have. How did you get here? What did you do? And begin to talk with them about their walk with the Lord. How did you get to this place? How did you overcome this trial? How did you do this? And you know, it's amazing. When people, uh, when people have been walking with the Lord for a while, they're happy to share. And the really good ones aren't proud about it. They'll give glory to God. They'll say, you know what? I needed help. That's why, that's why it's so great to be a part of a congregation that believes that, that, that one church can make a world of difference. One church, one church, one church can make a world of difference. Secondly, refuse to hang on to a powerless picture of Jesus. I mentioned this a minute ago, but this is so key because many times what happens is our circumstance gets bigger than the Lord. You know, nothing's bigger than God. You know, the resurrection proves there's nothing impossible with God. And yet our circumstances, oftentimes because we allow our circumstances, the pain of what we're in, the emotion of what we're in, the people around what we're in, all of a sudden take precedent and they eclipse the Lord. They eclipse the Lord. Uh, I remember Greg Hollis a number of years ago talking about how his son, they used to travel across the United States preaching the gospel, and, and his son, they had these, this big uh, um, fifth wheel that they pulled behind a tractor. And, uh, and he would talk about with his son, his son was about 10 years old, and he would say, son, he would say, Dad, how big is God? Oh, son, he's massive. He's, he's bigger than the whole world. Everything that the world, you know, Jesus made everything in the world that you can see with your eyes. And, and even stuff you can't see, Jesus made it all. He said, well, dad, how come, how come I can't really see uh, how big God is? And he said, I just had the presence of, of uh, this thought, this flash of understanding. He said, son, take your thumb. And he said, put it up and, and, and you see that, you see that little, uh, that, that little speck moving on the horizon, put your thumb right over that. And, and just, I want you to use your thumb as a sight and you just cover it up. You just cover up that moving. And his son just did it and watched. He kind of aimed his thumb at that thing. And he said, pretty soon here comes this tractor trailer. And it, you know, he just kept staring, staring and all of a sudden it just goes right by him. Oh my goodness. He said, isn't it amazing? That that truck was so big, but you could cover it with your thumb because you were a long way off. And he said, your perspective is what causes God to be small or big. What's your perspective of the Lord? Are your problems bigger than God is? Change your perspective. Go outside, stand and watch God move the clouds around for a while. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise, right? You, what God, God shows us from the biggest things and from the smallest things what wisdom looks like in life. And, and so we, if, if, if Jesus is powerless to you, if you're stuck, it's because you have this old image of Jesus that needs to be refreshed. You, you need to go back and see him afresh and anew. You, you, you don't have a, a, a brokenness problem. You, you have a misunderstanding of who Jesus is problem. You, you need to see him in the way that he actually is. When we see him as he is, the Bible says, we shall be like him. We shall be like him, right? Because we see him as he is. And so we, we need a fresh uh, revelation of who Jesus is. Lastly today, receive God's power for your progress in life. Receive God's power. You, you might be really pleased with the old you, but you know what? If you got breath in your lungs, don't stop there. 
Keep growing in God. Keep, keep understanding who he is. Keep looking at situations and circumstances and say, you know what? That looks impossible, but nothing's impossible with God. And that's going to be my testimony. I'm going to declare it. It's going to be my testimony. I'm, I'm going to keep looking at impossible situations and I'm going to walk into that thing and I'm going to pray and I'm going to keep looking at it, keep staring at it saying, Jesus, I know you got more than this. I know you got more than this. I'm going to keep looking at that thing. What are you doing? You're saying thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What are you doing? You're just doing exactly what Jesus said you would do. You're accessing his power and you're believing God for the kingdom to flow into a situation where it's not currently flowing. We've got to receive God's power for the progress that we want to make. We don't want to be self-made people. There is no such thing. You're breathing air that God made. You're living in an atmosphere that God created. You're operating with wisdom that God gave you. That you're, The money that, that, that paid for what you have, God says, I have given you power to get wealth and so confirm my covenant. So who put those brains together the way they are? Who gave the opportunities that you have? None of us are self-made. None of us are. We owe it all to him. And so what we do with what we have is going to release God's power, and we're going to do it, and we're going to give honor and glory to him. Now, in America, we want the shortcut. In America, we want the fastest fast food that there is, and we will reward the companies who give it to us. We, we want things on our timetable, don't we? Right? Um, and, and so what you and I need to understand is that there are some things. Sometimes we, we really cater in our, in our culture. We cater to a, a, to a formula kind of an experience with God. Well, just give me the three points, the five steps, the seven keys, and, and I'll embrace that. But the Bible tells us that that's not how you get to know God. That you can't just get to know God in the black and white. If so, God would have stopped with the Old Testament and the Ten Commandments. You got a book. You got 39 of them. You can't, you, you, you're still violating them. You're still breaking them. What, what did we have to do? We, we needed a man. We needed a person. Jesus Christ. He is the truth. If you leave Jesus out, you don't have the truth. Well, I've got some good teaching, so... A lot of people have good teaching, but only Jesus can impart life to you. Only Jesus can release God's power to you. Only Jesus has resurrection life. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. And so you and I need to recognize that we need to come to him, that we can't just come up with some good ideas and, and you know, let that be the thing that carries us on into our future. God is the author and he's the finisher of your future. All your days were written down in his book before one of them ever came to be. He wrote your book. Don't you think you, you need to consult him in order to interpret what those days look like? You need the person of the Holy Spirit on the inside of you saying, don't do this, do this. Go talk to this person, not that person. Step here, do this, think this way. Say it this way. Jesus himself said it this way. I only do what I see my father doing. I only say what I hear my father saying. And he tells me exactly what to say. What was he doing? He was showing us the normal Christian life. He wasn't saying that just because he was the second person of the Trinity. He was showing us what it looks like to live in complete dependence on the person of the Holy Spirit. That, friends, is the power of the gospel. The gospel is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. You need God's power. That power is made available in a person. Not a principle. Not a program. Not a, not a good idea. The person of Jesus Christ. And you and I need to understand that this is how God does things. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Did I say I was getting to the end? That was kind of, I was getting to it. 
2 Corinthians 3.18. Let's read this out loud together. Do we have it up here? Oh, yeah, we do. Um, And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Let me tell you a story that goes along with the first couple of words in that. He says, we with unveiled faces. Paul is talking about the difference between the old covenant and the new covenant. And he's relating a story that tells about how that when Moses would go up to meet with God in the, temple, in the tent of meeting, he would get there. And, the, and, the, and God says of him, his relationship with Moses, I have no one else like him. He's not like a prophet that I would talk to. When I talk to Moses, I talk to him face to face. Just think about that for a minute. What kind of an amazing human being does God say, I'm going to talk to him face to face? So he would go up to the tent of meeting, and the Bible would say that a cloud would come down, and the people would know that God was meeting with Moses. That's the best do not disturb sign you've ever seen. Cloud comes down, meets with Moses. Moses is in conference right now. It's okay. Moses in conference. And so he'd meet with God, and the Bible tells us that, that he would meet with God to such a degree that, that, that the glory of the Lord would adhere to him, that he would actually glow, right? Glow-mo. <laughs> so, so Moses would glow, glow-mo would come out, and it would freak the people out. Why? Because if, if you had the man of God that had been talking to God, and, and you know God knows everything, then you know God knows stuff about you. And you're probably a little intimidated when Glomo comes out, and he walks by you. Because he knows what you've been, and, and what you've been doing, and who you've been talking to. And what you've been doing that you shouldn't do. So they're a little freaked out. So the Israelites come out and Moses notices that everybody, you know, nobody's bringing him any fried chicken anymore because they're all staying away. And so Moses decides to put on a veil, you know, he puts this veil on so that nobody knows that the glory is on his face. Now they just see Moses, but they don't know if he's fully charged Mo or if he's depleted Mo. They don't know about Mo. I'm having way too much fun with this. <laughs> You're going to endure till the end, though. So, the Bible tells us that this is a, a, this is a pattern for us, that the, that the law was fading away. The glory of the law was fading away in order that the new covenant might be revealed. And that glory is the glory that we experience today. So what he's saying here in this passage is that the law needed, it, it was coming to the end of its time, just like when Moses would, would meet with the Lord face to face and the glow was bright for a while while, but then as the day wore on, the glow, uh, the glory would, would be lessened, and Moses didn't want people to know. This was, a, this was something about maybe Moses' own insecurity. They treated him different when he had the glow and when he didn't, so he's, I'm going to make sure they don't know when I've been with God, when I haven't. And so he covered it up, but, but the, the scripture tells us, no, we in the new covenant, we all with unveiled faces. In other words, there's no cover-up. We're not being religious about this thing. This, this isn't how many, how many gold stars you got next to your name, how many check boxes you got. None of those things matter. Why? Because Jesus made them irrelevant. It's not on the basis of your good works that you have anything with God. It's only on the basis of the shed blood of Jesus in the empty tomb that we have access And because we have access, we all ought to rejoice. We all ought to say, praise God. Isn't God so good? You can meet with him. You can know him. And you can be changed into his likeness. Not because you got it all together. But in fact, because you don't. That every believer ought to just be humble enough to say, I just want to see Jesus. Because in him, I find that life really makes sense. In in him, I find I don't have to walk around with burdens. I don't have to walk around worried about what people think about me. I don't have to walk around with any of that. that, that With an unveiled face, I can stand before my Savior and I can say, God, I just need more of you. I've made some mess ups, but I know you're not worried about the mess ups. All of that fell on Jesus. I just want more of you. 
And the Bible says that we are changed into his likeness with ever increasing glory. What's that glory? What's that word? That, that, that word is the, uh, the Shekinah glory in the Old Testament. It means weight. It means substance. Final closing. You know it's real when the piano guy comes. <laughs> let, me, let me share with you an illustration. In, uh, in the Old Testament, uh, you would have coins that were weighed out, uh, and, and they would be stamped. And it might be Caesar, it might be some other, uh, some other leader that, whose image was stamped on that coin. And that, say, a one-ounce coin would, would be weighed out, and it would be weighed out based on its worth. It was worth one ounce, whatever the trading factor of the gold was, it was worth one ounce. And it was worth that, that amount. Well, the problem with those coins is that gold being malleable, it would wear. And so the more that coin was in circulation, the more the hands touched it, the more it shook around in people's pockets, the longer it was in existence, the more and more the image that was on the face would wear down. And in the wearing down, that, that coin didn't weigh as much anymore. And because value was based on weight and not some, you know, vault currency of what a dollar is worth because it's strictly based on weight that the more the coin had been in the circulation and worn down it was, the less it was worth. The image had been worn off. Pretty soon you can't see whose face was supposed to be on it. Pretty soon it didn't weigh an ounce anymore, weighed less than an ounce. You say, well, I got a gold coin and it's worth this amount. It was worth this amount last year, but that same gold coin is not worth the same amount this year. It's worth less. It's worth less. Because the image has been worn off. The glory of the Lord, when I encounter him, he re-stamps the Imago Dei, the image of God. He re-stamps his image back onto my soul. The longer I'm in circulation, the more people I pick up the title that they give me. Some are good, some are bad. The, the more decisions that I make that are wrong, the more worthless I feel. The more worthless I feel. And the only way that I can be restored to the level that God says I am is to encounter his presence and the glory, the glory of his presence. And when I meet with Jesus and I look into his eyes and he communicates to me who I am in him, the worth of God on this person's life is re-stamped into my life. I suddenly remember, oh yeah, now I remember who I am. Now I remember what I'm supposed to be about. And you know what? Here's the problem. We all leak. I need a regular encounter with God because I will forget. And, and I'll get, somebody will say something and I'll be like, ah, you ever, you ever think you're doing so well and then all of a sudden you make a decision and you're like, man, I'm back to kindergarten again. I thought, I thought I was, I thought I was cruising here. And then all of a sudden, what is that? That's just condemnation from the devil. But when you get into the presence of the Lord and you encounter him, his glory reminds you that you are his child. You are his son. You are his daughter. And you let him whisper that on the inside of you. And you hear, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Man, you can charge hell with a water pistol. Why? Because it's the image of God that makes it all work. And Jesus came to bring the image of God to us. And God doesn't want you to just have a formula. He wants you to have an encounter with his son. Because it's only through this encounter with his son that you will relearn, rediscover, re-understand, reset your understanding of who God is in you. Christ in you is the hope of glory. The hope of substance. And everything else is inferior to that. 
Every striving that you'll ever have just to feel good about yourself is inferior to that. You'll always have to prop it up. You'll, you'll, you'll need more clothes and better cars and better houses just to feel good about yourself when you could spend two minutes in the presence of Jesus and you would give them all away. Because knowing Christ, knowing Christ is the greatest thing. All those other things are going to be in the ash heap, but Jesus, we, you will know him and you will love him forever and ever and ever and ever. Let's stand this morning. You need to receive the power of God. And the gospel is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. The salvation of every, the wholeness, everything that God has for you is found in the person of Jesus. Everything that God has for you is found in an empty tomb. Don't forget that. Don't forget that. Don't go chasing after other stuff. Come on, church. Don't go chasing after other stuff. We seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all the other things are added. Let's bow our heads today. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray right now for every person, Lord God, that's gone seeking in the wrong place, looking in the wrong place, touching the wrong things, seeing the wrong things, making the wrong decisions. Lord, all of those things, Lord, are wrapped up in the cross. They're wrapped up in the shed blood of an innocent one who said, I will take the punishment. Just believe on me. I will strengthen you. I will cause you to walk in the high places. I will cause you to turn your back on sin and move to toward holiness. Father, I pray for any person today that's struggling, that needs a touch, that needs a friend who sticks closer than a brother, that needs to understand who their father is and who they are as a result. In the name of Jesus, all over this place, if that's you, if I just describe you, just slip up your hand. We're going to pray. We're just going to pray. You, you, you want a fresh start. You want a relaunch. You want, you want that reset. Resurrection does that. So slip up your hand right where you're at. Amen. 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 All over this place. Today's the day. Today's the day. Resurrection Sunday. Father, I pray for those who believe as they've lifted their hands, Lord, that you would do a supernatural work in their souls today. Lord, that they would turn from their own way and they would turn to your way. That they would, with unveiled faces, reflect the glory of the Lord and that you would re-stamp your image on them, God. That they would, they would have a moment of discovery in you. God, that you would do the work. You would do the work in them right now in the name of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. Keep your hands raised. Others are going to join you now. Some of you have slipped back into your old life, your old ways of thinking. Maybe nobody even noticed on the outside, but you know it. You know it. Slip up your hand. We're going to go after God together. Things that never uh, in, in your walk with the Lord had, had uh, been lost. They hadn't been bothering you at all. And all of a sudden, those same old temptations are cropping back up. And now you're paying more attention to them than you used to. If that's you, slip up your hand. Father, in the name of Jesus, we refuse to be pulled back into our old ways. Say that out loud. I refuse to go back. I refuse to slide back in fear. I'm a person of faith. I'm bold in the Lord. I'm going to walk in his ways. I'm going to allow him to stamp his image on me today in the name of Jesus. Father, right now I pray a blessing over your people right now. I thank you, Lord God, that we are, it's possible for us to be made new because of the resurrection. And I pray for each and every person here that daily, daily they would seek you, daily they would find you, daily you would stamp your image on them. We thank you for that today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.